Oh, these videos are so good, y'all. Uh, you guys enjoying this so far? Good. Um, I, I love that episode. Uh, the guy that plays Nez, is a, he's a good buddy of mine. And just watching him play that role, that banana scene. Anybody else throw up in their mouth a little bit when he... Uh, it's gross, okay? Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis uh, chapter 1. We're going all the way back to the beginning of the story. And then we're going to jump into Daniel here in a minute. Hey, but Genesis chapter 1, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the story, because tonight we're going to talk about that closing scene, right? They're, they're all sitting there at the table going, man, like cheersing to him, going like, uh, he was a good Nez. You know, like, uh, you hate to see that happen. And then I love that Sherman sits down, and he goes, that's not the worst thing that could happen. Hey, outside, visually, from our perspective, we look at what happened to Nez, and we're like, he went insane, he went crazy, his, his physical body failed him, and yet Sherman sits down and says, the worst thing that could happen to Nez is that he can't bring himself to follow the king. Hey, all week long, we've been talking about this concept of what would it look like for you and for me to take a step closer to following Jesus, to understanding that this book is not about what we have to do to get to God. But this is the greatest story ever told about what God has done to get to us. And yet the problem is, right, the whole reason God had to move heaven and earth to get to us, the whole reason that we struggle with that relationship and that there's the brokenness around us is this thing called sin. And we've talked about this the last three nights, but the, the whole concept of, of if I could hook your brain up to the screen and we could project on here all your thoughts all your actions, all every word that you spoke just today, the way that you interacted with people, I, I don't think many of us would sign up for that. And that's because like, we all know at the end of the day, if I asked all of you, if I said, hey, is there anybody perfect in here? My guess is like, none of us would go like, mm-hmm, yeah, pick me. Right? Like, like we all know the, the brokenness that lies within. And so I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of the story. And before we jump into Daniel and understand what has, is happening in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, I want to go back to the beginning and set some context here. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. This is the very beginning of the story where God creates. And it says that God spoke into existence this world around us. And then at the, the pinnacle of his creation... The, the, the very peak of, of he looks around and says, this is good, and that is good, and the, the trees and the seas and the birds and the whales and the sky, and everything that he sees, he says, this is good. And then he creates male and female, he says, this is very good. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. So God makes male and female in his own image to glorify him, to reflect his image. And the problem is that you and I, being made in God's image, we, as humans, didn't choose to reflect God's image. In fact, just two, uh, one chapter later, we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve choose to take things into their own hands. I, we talked about this night one, but four words spoken by our enemy, did God really say, change the course of history? Right, that Satan slithers in, in in Genesis chapter 3, personified of the devil, and goes, did God really say? Is he really good? And why is this our enemy's tactic? It's because if he can get us to doubt who God is and doubt what God says, then of course we're going to choose what we want, when we want it, how we want it, because we start going, ah, is his way better? 
Right? We, we literally just saw this like play out. Like Nebuchadnezzar's trying. He's got the phone and he's like, you know, hey, God, and he's reaching out and he like doesn't really hear anything back. And then how much time does it take for him to start going, is he really there? Is God really good? Like this doubt settles in and instead of wrestling with that doubt, right, he pendulum swings back to, did God really say, no, I'm going to take things into my own hands. And now I, I'm curious if you're anything like me, maybe you've asked the question before, why did God, if God is so good and if God is so sovereign, right, why did God even give Adam and Eve the choice to fail? Like, didn't God know that they were going to fail? Like, didn't God create them and then all of a sudden know, like, my creation is going to betray me? Like, that doesn't seem like a very good God thing to do, to create this possibility to sin, and then sin enters into the picture, and then brokenness, and then hell, and you go, like, if God is good and loving, why the sin? Have you ever wondered that? You ever, you ever wrestled with this? And the answer to the question is, right, God chooses, because he himself is love, he chooses to create out of that place of love. But the reality about love is, is that forced love is not love at all. Right? To be forced to love somebody is actually not love. And so God creates from this place of choice. In uh, 2016, I was working up at Hume Lake Christian Camps, and like, this is like Hume SoCal. There's like Hume Lake up in the Sequoias, and I got hired on. I was working with the high school camp up there, running some games, and uh, I, uh, day one of camp, I walk into like this little A-frame lodge that we were living in, and I walk upstairs, and I meet this girl, Paige Finkemeyer. Kid you not. That's her last name. F-I, get this, F-I-N-K-E-M-E-I-E-R. What a last name. Anybody have to spell their name like over the phone or you're like, you know what I'm saying? You're like, F is in Frank. You're like, you do have 30 minutes, right? Like this girl's name is Paige Finkemeyer and I go upstairs and I meet her and, and, and that summer, Paige and I become friends and uh, all summer long we're hanging out. She's one of the lead counselors up there. I was doing recreation and for this summer, we become friends. We like found ourselves like debating about a bunch of things. Like we would sit down like a group of 10 people and we would like start debating some sort of topic. And then like after an hour, we'd look up and it would just be me and her. And this kept happening like over and over and over again. For that whole summer, right, we become friends. We become like what she would describe as flirty friends. Right, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? To which to this day, to this day I go, no, no, no. Maybe you were flirty, not me, right? That was not me, right? I have video evidence I have video evidence of her, literally, we're like on a hike and she jumps onto my back, right? Classic move. And I'm like, see, see, like it was you. And she was like, yeah, but you let me like jump on your back, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, right? It's, it's, it's details, right? So at the end of that summer, she goes back to Wheaton College and she's studying Wheaton. A year later, uh, I find out, like, we kind of stayed in touch throughout the year. I find out that Paige Finkemeyer, I'm living in Newport Beach at the time, and Paige is moving back to, hey, shout out Newport, okay? And Paige is moving to take a job at this church called Arbor Road in Long Beach. And so I was like, oh, Paige Finkemeyer's moving into town. And so, like, being the nice guy that I am, I drive up to Long Beach to help her move into an apartment, right? To help her move into her apartment because I'm nice, Okay. <laughs> No alternative, no, no alternative emotions, nothing, right? And so I'm like helping her move in because I'm a nice guy. And, and I'm like, hey, Paige, this is like a couple weeks later. I'm like, hey, do you want to, uh, a buddy of mine, it was his kid's birthday party, right? And so I'm like, hey, do you want to come to this, this birthday party with me? Again, she doesn't know anybody in town. I'm just being nice, okay? So I invite her to this birthday party. And on the drive to this birthday party, I kid you not, okay? We're driving to the birthday party. 
And it's like a, I don't know, 15, 20 minute drive. She's living in like downtown Long Beach. And uh, she, on the drive, she looks at me and she goes, hey, so <laughs> she goes, I, I need your advice on something. And I'm like, heck yeah, right? Like wisdom, right? Like, and she goes, this guy asked me on a date and I'm wondering if you think I should go on the date or not. Y'all, straight friend-zoned, like so hardcore, okay? She's like big brothering me, looking for some like sage advice on dating some other guy, right? And so I'm driving my truck, and I'm like driving, I'm like, hmm, right? You know, processing, like the inside-out miniature Austins are like looking for something to say, right? They're like, line, line, like... And so she asked me, she's like, hey, I'm, I'm curious about this other guy. Like, do you think I should go on a date with him? And I, I just looked at her and I said, Paige, you're kind of putting me in a weird spot right now because I want to take you on a date. <laughs> right? And I kid you not. Hey, I kid you not. She looks at me. She looks at me and she goes, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> That's what she said. And so I was like, I was like, okay, all right, all right. So at the time, I was actually interviewing for the position that I'm in now down in San Diego. And so I live in Newport. She's in San Diego. I'm interviewing, or she's in Long Beach. I'm interviewing in San Diego. So we, she ends up going on a date with this guy. But while she went on a date with this guy, I went on a two-week motorcycle trip down to Mexico. I was like, I'm out, right? Like, go on a date with him. If it goes well, great. Don't think it will, okay? But then... <laughs> If it, if, it, if it doesn't go well, let me know. So I'm like one week into my moto trip, homegirl texts me. She's like, hey, went on the date, didn't go well, when are you back? It's like, hey, okay, all right, okay. So I get back, I get back, okay? We go on a couple of dates, and then I get the job in San Diego. And y'all, this is, <laughs> this is an embarrassing fact that I actually don't think I've ever really shared as part of the story, but we're here for it, right? So I'm moving to San Diego. It's already happening, right? And, and we've gone on a couple dates. We've been on like two or three dates. We're playing tennis. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. This is honestly such an embarrassing part of the story. We're playing tennis, and in my mind, I'm going to do this like cutesy thing. So I have a Sharpie in my pocket, and I'm going to write girlfriend on a tennis ball and like serve it, right? What I found out was it's really hard to write on tennis balls. So I grabbed the tennis ball in my Sharpie and I write GF and I hit it at her and she grabs it and she goes, gluten free, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. She just looks at me and she goes, she just gives me the like rolly eyes like you're dumb and she hits it back to me and she looks at me and she says, no. It's like... I was like, and so at this point, I set the tennis racket down, and I just like walk up to the net, and I'm like, ooh, why? She's like, you're moving to San Diego. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to lock it down, right? Like, I'm moving to San Diego. So she goes, no, like, move to San Diego. Let's keep dating. Like, if you move to San Diego in like a month from now, you still want to like, you still want to like make this happen, then we'll make it happen. So month goes by. I'm living in San Diego. I'm like, homegirl. I'm like, this is, this is it, right? I'm like locked in. So Moved to San Diego. She comes down with a friend of hers to teach at our young adults ministry. And like a month later, right, she asked me, she said, is that offer still on the table? And I was like, hey, hey, right? I was like, hey, hey, right? Like, let's go. So I lock it in, lock it in, right? Boyfriend, girlfriend, like four or five months later, 
right? Quick, I know. I know. I was like 25, working full-time, responsible adult, right? Like, we go to Israel, opposite trips, buy homegirl a ring, propose. We get married a year later, and Paige Finkmeyer became Paige Payne, right? right? The best. Literally the best. But here's, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine, okay? We have this, like, sweet story, right? We get home from our wedding, we get married down in Mexico. We go on our honeymoon, right? I want you to imagine we get home from our honeymoon, and I have a binder just on the kitchen table. And I, we get home. She's like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, it's, that's for you. And in this binder, it's just a 150-page document. And it's like word for word, paragraph by paragraph, like all written out. Hey, this is exactly page. Now that we're married, this is exactly how I want you to love me. This is like that minute by minute, hour by hour, these are like, this is how I like my birthday celebrated. These are the breakfasts I like, right? These are, right? I just give her, I just give her like minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, month by month. Like this is exactly what love looks like. I promise you, I promise you, there's not a single one of you in here that looks at a 150 page document written out on minute by minute, 168 hours in a week. This is exactly how you were to act. There's none of you that go, Like, that's, I want that, right? Like, none of you are like, that's romantic, right? Like, all y'all are like, hey, great story, but that's actually called slavery, right? Like, <laughs> don't, don't do it, right? Like, no, nobody, nobody sees that ending in the romantic comedy and goes like, oh, I love that, right? Like, that's so good for you. Like, all of you are like, homegirl, get out, right? Like, that's not, like, don't do that. And so here's the problem. Here's the problem. When we look at this book, and we go all the way back to the beginning of this story and we ask the question like, God, if you know everything, why didn't you just, why, didn't, why, why, why even make sin a thing? Why give us the option? Why give us the choice? Like, God, if you're so loving, how can hell be real? And the problem is, friends, is that forced love is not love at all. It's slavery. If God wanted robots, he would have just made robots, but he created you and I in his image with the choice to glorify him or not glorify him. Do you know that you and I, as the peak of God's creation, are the only part of creation that has a hard time obeying God? The rest of creation doesn't have an issue with it. And yet you and I, right, since the beginning of time have wrestled with this, have struggled with this. And here's my favorite definition of sin right now. If you're sitting in here and you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe this is helpful. And if you're brand new to this whole church thing, maybe you'll start to understand, right? The last thing I want to do is be another pastor that stands up on stage and looks at you and goes like, you're a sinner and you need Jesus, right? While both of those things are true, right, I want to give you a helpful definition and then kind of walk you through, like, let's understand what this sin is, because I believe wholeheartedly, unless you and I understand the depth of our sin and how broken we actually are, unless we get there, we will never understand our true actual need for a savior. Jesus will be this convenient, like, just you know, Wednesday Jesus or Sunday Jesus that's there when we need him, but he will never be Lord of our life unless we understand the depth of our brokenness and how much we actually need him. Okay, so here's my favorite definition of sin if you're taking notes tonight. Sin is this. It's our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is actually our deepest happiness. 
Right? Sin is our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is actually our deepest happiness. Right? Piper woke up at uh, 7 a.m. last week, and she walked upstairs, and I can hear her coming. We have these, like, concrete stairs, and I, she walks upstairs, and she's, like, Bigfoot in the morning. And she's like, boom, 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 right? I'm like, how can a, like, 30-pound, two-and-a-half-year-old make that much noise? She walks upstairs, and she looks at me at 7 a.m. She wakes me up, Dada! I'm like, what? She said, I want ice cream. I'm like, it's literally 7 a.m., right? Like, if I want Piper to be happy, I just want her to be happy. What do I say? Yes, of course, you can have ice cream. I want you to be happy. If I want Piper to be actually happy, what do I say? No, right? Like, hey, if, I, if you have ice cream, like, every once in a while in the morning, like, good on you. But if, if like, you have ice cream all the time in the morning, nobody who loves you is going to go, good, keep going, right? Like, that, that's not a healthy rhythm. That's not what you actually want. And so the, the sin is our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is our deepest happiness. So when Satan enters into the picture in Genesis chapter 3 and says, did God really say? And Adam and Eve doubt God's goodness and his love for them and for the first time take things into their own hands. And they take of the apple of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, which God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for this one. Why? Forced love isn't love at all. And so he has to give them the choice. Believe in me, love me, or don't. And Adam and Eve choose don't. And for the first time, shame enters into the picture. Notice, friends, shame has no, it has no business in the, being in the presence of God, ever. His sin, guilt, going, I have done something wrong, I have done something bad, absolutely. It's called conviction. Shame says, this is who you are. And those are very, very different things. And the God of the universe will never, ever have shame as a part of his equation. And so when you hear sin, and if you've been a part of the church that has, has looked at you and said, like, this is who you are, and this is your brokenness, and because of that, like, there's no recovering from this, right? The amount of, like, shame cycling that happens in the church is unbelievable. And you have a God that looks at you in the middle of your brokenness and says, should you feel conviction over your sin? 1,000%. Is there brokenness in you that if we're being honest, a lot of us probably wrestle with the same thing of going like, I'm not that bad. We can look at people to our left or to our right that are way worse than us and go like, I'm really not that bad. And yet maybe when you do feel that conviction, instead of dealing with the conviction and running to Jesus, maybe you just wrestle with this downward shame spiral. Of just going like, this is who I am, and no one could love me, and I don't deserve, and, and, and we just downward spiral instead of pausing and stopping our tracks, opening up the greatest story that's ever been told, and run to the Jesus that goes, I know that about you, and I still chose to chase after you. Sin is an unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is our deepest happiness. And yet, if you're anything like me, you can open up this book 613 laws in the Old Testament, 10 commandments, and then Jesus comes in and doubles down on a lot of them. And any, any of you like me and really don't like rules, hey, hey, okay, Th those of you that like raise your hand, maybe you're like, those of you that really don't like rules are like, you're not making me raise my hand. Right? Like, try me, pastor, right? Like, it doesn't happen, right? There's a lot of you that go like, I don't like rules. When I was a freshman and sophomore in high school, like, I hated rules and regulations and I had the same passion that I have now but I had no idea what to do with it and so like I was like yelling at referees and basketball games and like uber disrespectful to teachers there was one week in my life I got kicked out of three basketball games and two classes in the same week and my parents came in and shut my life down right they're like you're going nowhere right like phone 
iPod, right? That's right, iPod, right? iPod Touch, that's what's up. My dad took it for a month and scratched it. It's messed up, okay? Still mad at him about that. And my whole life got shut down. But I hated, like, I hated rules. And I just looked at the Bible and I felt like it was more rules. And remember day one, I talked about, like, for me, Christianity felt like you got to live this boring life and people are going to tell you all these sins that you can't do, but you got to live this boring life and try really hard not to sin because you get heaven at the end of it. But y'all, I missed what the Bible was actually about. See, what if this book, what if this God was actually for you? What if his heart was like, I'm going to give you life that's actually life? See, a number of years ago, I got to go on this missions trip down to the Dominican Republic with my students. And I don't know why, maybe it's because I'm a missionary kid and like I grew up on the road a lot, but like I really like hotels. And like, I, again, like it's kind of a weird thing. A lot of people are like, I love my own bed. I'm like, I love hotels. Like there's something about like being able to throw my towels and like my bed's not made. And then like I come back later that afternoon and it's like pristine again. I'm like, that's amazing, right? Like I love hotels. And so we're doing this check-in process at this hotel and it kind of blew me away that I'm in another country, another language, Dominican Republic, but the whole process, the check-in process in the DR was like the same back home. Like they're giving the key cards and like giving the whole spiel about the continental breakfast and like the waffles, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like the best waffle makers ever where you like pour the waffle mix in, you know, turn it over for a minute and a half and then you open it up and one half of the waffle just stays there forever. Like for all of eternity, you eat the other half and just is what it is. Like I'm like shocked. I'm like, oh, this hotel is like the same as all the other hotels. Like this is great. And so I'm about to like turn to my students and like divvy out the key cards. And she goes, oh, like Senor Payne. And I'm like, uh-huh, what's up? She goes, by the way, um, one last little detail I forgot to share. The Dominican Republic is, it's like a war-torn country. And I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah, no, like we're on this mission trip here. Like it's gonna be really cool. She's like, no, no, like it's like a lot of civil war. So there's this field behind the hotel. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I saw it. Like, was stoked, gonna play some ultimate, like maybe, you know, some rec games back there. And she goes, no, 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 uh, that field, there's actually from the, a lot of the civil war within the last like 10, 15 years, there's still some old uh, landmines in that field. So just, if you go back there, just be careful. And I'm like, be careful? Like, shouldn't there be a sign that says field closed? Like, that seems more reasonable. I'm like, did you say landmines? She's like, mm-hmm, enjoy your stay. And I'm like, yeah, like youth pastors in the room, can we just like level for a second? Like there's, there's a lot of phone calls you don't want to make back home. The one at the top of the list is like, hi, yeah, yeah, Mrs. Wilson, how's it going? Yeah, no, yeah, everything's good. Yeah, 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 well, most things are good. Um, you know Timmy? Well, of course you know Timmy, he's your son. Um, you know how Timmy used to have two legs? Right, like... That's not a phone call you want to make, right? Like youth pastor, like, so I turn to my crew and I'm like, get the key cards back. I mean, before you go to your room, hey, y'all, field behind the hotel, closed, right? Like we're not going back there. And, and now here's the crazy part, right? Like for me in 2023, like I live in a coastal community and every time I go to the beach, there's always that dude that has like the headphones, right? And he's got like the wand and he's like, beep, 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 beep. And then he has like his little digger thing. And he's like, looking. I'm like, oh, bro, what are you looking for? Like, I don't, I don't know. Right? He's like, 25 cents. You're like, you're rich, right? Like, that, like, I don't know what you're looking for, but in my mind, we could go to that field in the DR and we could just go like, beep, 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 landmine right here, right? We go like cone, 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 certain death, okay? Beep, 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 beep
okay? And just like do the whole field. Like, look, look across the whole field, all the landmines, and then go, okay, hey, students, uh, you can play anywhere on the field except the cones. Watch out for the cones. Why? Y'all, so if you as a high school student went like, I just want to be free, I want to go out, and you Google the word, like, define freedom. That freedom would be the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, however you want. Freedom is the ability to go onto that field and play however you want, right? You might look at me going, hey, high school student, go play on the field, watch out for the landmines. And you're like, ugh, what a buzzkill, right? And I'm like, okay. Like, if you think you desire freedom and the rules and regulations of the landmines, of the cones, are like, ugh, so boring, always telling us what to do. Is it not the most loving thing to do to go, I know where the death traps are, watch out. Friends, what if God's word, what if 66 books written by 40 authors over 2,000 years on three continents and three languages telling one story was God's way of going, hey, I know where the landmines are. I made it. I created it. I designed this life. And so I'm going to give you commands. I'm going to give you a way to live life. I'm going to love you enough to send Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because the God of the universe goes, hey, I made this world, I created it. Beep, 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 landmine. Don't go here. Because if you go here, it's going to lead to death. And so I want to open up the book of Daniel, I want to look at three sins. Right? Just three things that I think we all, right? every one of us in this room, your youth pastor, your leaders, and every high school student in this room, we will wrestle with these three things. And if we're not aware of them, if we're not aware of the depth of our need for a savior, then I think we'll just brush over these three things and view it as somebody else's problem. Hey, so Daniel chapter three. Actually, go back to Daniel chapter two. I'm just gonna have you write down three references for this first one. Daniel chapter two, verses 47 through 49 Hey, do you remember this? We've already talked about this, but this is at the end of the dream interpretation sequence where King Nebuchadnezzar for the very first time says, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of all the kings and the revealer of mysteries for you were able to, able to reveal this mystery. And then what happens in Daniel chapter three, verse one? What's the very first thing he does? Makes a gold statue, right? He goes, surely your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords and the king of all kings. Now bow down to this statue, right? It's like, it's like he's holding in a sneeze, and then he, he like recognizes that God is God, but it doesn't actually impact anything about his life. The very next time we see this, we saw it last night, is at the end of Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are rescued out of the furnace, and then Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And then we see it one final time in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are rescued. Chapter 4 says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. See, here's the thing about Nebuchadnezzar. Three times, he's going to recognize who this God is. And yet his sin is self-sufficiency. The first cone, if you're taking notes and you just want to write one, two, three. Number one, the first thing that I think 
every one of us is prone to that we see in Nebuchadnezzar is the sin of self-sufficiency. See, he believes that there is a God and friends, don't miss this. I think a lot of us in this room wrestle with this, especially if you've been around church for a minute. You might believe that God is real. You might have faith in that God, but a biblical faith trusts and acts. A biblical faith believes, then trusts, then acts. And what we see in Nebuchadnezzar's life is he believes that there is a God. He knows these things about God, but he doesn't know God. It's this self-sufficiency that exists. And so he three times is going to go, I, I, let me declare who this God is. And I know everything there is to know about this God. I can sing his praises, but I don't actually know this God. See, here's the problem, right? Like you and I, in 2023, this is the most prevalent thing around us because we can know everything there is to know about people without actually knowing them. You know what I mean? Right? Like, can I admit something kind of embarrassing to you guys? Like I'm a decent, like I'm not a massive one. Like my wife is a massive Swifty. Okay. And like, because I'm married to her, because I'm married to her, like low key, like it started out as being like, babe, like why this music? And now I'm kind of like, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of into this, right? Like, I like, I kind of like it. And so we're going to a concert next week. We're going to like the Eras tour in SoFi. And like my wife, I kid you not, my wife's got like the full outfit, right? Like homegirls like gone all out for, like she's stoked to go. And so me, like, I'm, I'm kind of excited to go. Like, I'm, I'm like it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. But I want you to just imagine for a second, we find ourselves in SoFi, and, like, somehow we get backstage, and we're, like, in the green room. And, like, y'all, like, if you, you don't know the, like, Discover page on Instagram, you know what I'm talking about? Like, if you click on my wife's, it's, like, Tetris, like, Taylor Swift outfits and, like, the sets. And she's, like, I hope she plays this song and this song and, like, blah, blah, blah. I'm, like... You're a little bit crazy, right? Like you're crazy showing, okay? Like I love you to death, but you're crazy showing a little bit. And so if we somehow found ourselves in the green room and we like knock on it, we walk in and we go, Taylor, right? Like you were born here and your favorite number is 13. And like we know all these things about Taylor. Is Taylor Swift going to turn to us and go, Austin and Paige? No, right? What's she going to do? She's going to turn to us and go like, security? Right? Like I... There's a crazy lady here. Like, I, there's, there's no chance. It's so easy in 2023 to know everything about somebody, but actually have no relationship with that person. We can know so much about someone. And a lot of us, if you've been around the church for a while, you can mistake belief about God with trust in that God. Hey, James chapter 4 says, even the demons believe that there is a God. And honestly, they have more respect for that God because they believe that there's a God and they shudder. It says there's a massive difference between demon faith and demonstrated faith. You and I, a biblical faith, believes, trusts, and acts. The first sin that I think every single one of us is, we run into this time after time after time and that we see in the life of Nebuchadnezzar is a sin of self-sufficiency. Number two is idolatry. Right? We saw this last night in the story, chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. But here's my guess. Right? Like if, uh, if y'all got home from camp and you were like, yo, Austin, like, cruise over to my house. And you invited me and Paige over and we got to like, come over and hang out and we were at your house. My guess, is, my guess is that we wouldn't walk into your house 
And there'd be like a massive gold image just like in your front like entryway. And you're like, nah, it's just our idol. Ignore that, right? Like, like my guess is that's not a thing. Right? You probably don't have like wood or gold statues that your family worships. And you're like, ah, I'm feeling this conviction about the idols in our house. That's, that, that's my guess. And yet, you and I, every single one of us in this room, our hearts are idol factories, y'all. You are a worshiper. Worship is not something we do. It's something we are. Do you know that? Like when the, when the band comes up here and they do their thing, right? And Hunter and the band, like they, they come and they lead you in worship and they're like, let everything. And you go like, mm, worship's just not really my thing. And maybe you sit down in your chair, maybe you walk out the back door, right? Like if worship's not really your jam friend, let me just let you in on something. You're not in that moment choosing to not worship. Worship is not something you do. Worship is something you are. And so the question is not if you will worship or if you won't worship. The question is who or what you will worship. And if we don't worship the God of the universe, if we don't put him in his rightful place on the throne, then we will replace him with something else. And I believe every one of us in this room, myself included, wrestles with idolatry. For some of you, it's performance. And you have to succeed in your sport, in your school. You got to get into that college. You got to date that girl. You got to date that guy. You got to find Mr. Right and Mrs. Right. You got to buy the house and have the white picket fence and the golden retriever. And you go like, I have to succeed. And yet the idol of performance is yours. For some of you, it's that girl or it's that boy. Right? It's a boyfriend, it's a girlfriend, and even maybe even at camp, like you show up and you come into chapel and you have to sit next to her, or you have to sit next to him, and so much of your life is just attached to this person, right? And, and I, I, I really think that a lot of us wrestle, stay with me, stay with me, I think a lot of us wrestle with a sport, or with a family member, or pleasing people, or popularity, and all of these things can be idols, and friends, like don't get me wrong. I'm not the pastor that's like anti-dating or anti-sports or any of these things. Like we can take really good things and make them God things. We can take really good things that were meant to be gifts of God and we can replace God with those things. And then the very thing that we loved, the very thing that we made our idol becomes the thing that destroys us. And the idol of idolatry is one that God is trying to protect us from when he says, you should have no other gods before me. Remember what he says before that. This is my character. This is who I am. And so when I'm telling you not to have other gods before me, it's the most loving thing I could do. I made life. I created life. And when I sit on that throne, God says, you will be at your best. Don't worship anything else. But friend, don't confuse. Don't mistake what an idol is. If God is not in that spot, something is. And whatever that something is, is an idol in your life. Number three is the sin of pride, and this is where we're going to close. In uh, chapter four of Daniel, verse 27, uh, right after Nebuchadnezzar has had this last dream, uh, Daniel comes and he interprets the dream for him, and we kind of saw it, it played out in the video. But Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar in verse 27. He says, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. See, Nebuchadnezzar had a, had a pride issue. He looked at himself. He said, I'm pretty great. Look what I've done. Look what I've created. 
And the idolatry in his life, combined with the pride and the self-sufficiency, had made him blind to who God was and what God had given to him. And so skip down to chapter 4, verse 28, when it says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, Is it not, is not this the great Babylon that I have built, the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live in the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. See, every single one of us has a sin problem. And maybe it's self-sufficiency, maybe it's idolatry, maybe it's pride. And can I just, can I just challenge you with something real quick? I think sometimes we confuse pride. I think sometimes we think pride is the guy that walks through the hallway of the high school. Right? And he's kind of like the guy. He's like, I'm him. Right? And he's like got that little swagger to him. Right? He's like, mm, you're like, prideful. Right? Or it's the girl that's like, she's just like beautiful and she's walking through and she's like wave. Like, the, like her hair flip is like slow motion and you're just like, ugh. Right? Like, okay. And we think that's pride. But let me challenge you. Insecurity and self-consciousness is just as prideful. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be rude, right? Like, it, like if, you, if you wrestle with insecurity and self-consciousness in this room, I think you're in really good company. Because I think a lot of us wrestle with that, myself included. You can walk into a room and you can be insecure and you can be self-conscious. But do you know what self-consciousness is? It's being aware of self. And if you're, if you're crippled with insecurity and self-consciousness, friend, I think you're wrestling with pride just as much as the guy that swaggers through your hallways. Because you walk through life just so stinking aware of you. And it's crippling. And the God of the universe wants to free you from that by going, when you put me on the throne of your life, It'll be the most freeing thing ever because you can walk into a room not aware of you and what everybody in the room is thinking about you, but you can walk into a room solely focused on the God of the universe and then you get freed of insecurity and freed of self-consciousness. The God of the Bible is in the business of freedom. But when we make pride and self-sufficiency and idolatry the things that we're chasing after, even in small ways, don't don't look at your sin and compare to the left or the right. Look at your sin and understand that you have a God that is perfect, who says, we have all sinned and we all fall short of God's standard. And because of that sin in our life, Romans chapter six is gonna say the wages of that sin, the way sin pays is always death. And there's this separation between us and God. Not because you're slightly better than the person to your left or to your right. There's a separation that exists between us and God because of the sin in your life. The pride, the self-sufficiency, the idolatry, the unwillingness to project on this screen our thoughts and our words and our actions. It's all sin. Every one of us has a sin problem. And tonight we kind of end on a heavy note and I'm going to bring the band up here and we're, and we're going to sing one last song together. But, but I want us to sit in this a little bit because until we understand the depth of our own sin, grace will never be amazing. And until we understand how broken we are and how far from perfect we are, 
when we talk about God loving you or when we talk about the free gift of grace, it'll just be like, cool. If we don't think we're that bad, then Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he died on the cross and we go, that was really cool. Thanks for doing that. But we don't fall on our knees and go, I need that. And so in this last song, I'm just gonna challenge you. Hey, ignore the person to your left, ignore the person to your right and just do business with God, just you and him. And tonight, as we sing this last song, would you, just in a moment of prayer, whether prayer is something like super normal for you or you haven't talked to God in a long time, would there be a moment for you right now where just you and God connect and you just have a moment of honesty between you and him and you just go, Lord, would you reveal to me the places where I'm broken, where there's sin in my life? Would tonight be a moment where the spirit of God convicts you, not for the purpose of shame, but to draw you back closer to himself? Hey, pray with me. God, thanks for tonight. God, thank you for your word and that we can open it up and we can understand more about who you are. And would that be our goal? That would our goal in opening up your word first always be we want to understand more of who you are. And in light of who you are, God, would we better understand ourselves? That in the midst of our brokenness and our sin, our unwillingness to believe consistently, God, that what you have for us is best. God, would tonight be a night of confession? That in your word you say, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful, God. You are just. You are a forgiving God, a kind God that desires to draw us back to you over and over and over and over again. Would tonight be a night where we come back? Would we come home? open up? Would we be vulnerable? Knowing, God, that you are a good God, that you are a loving, kind, gracious God that has always been and that always will be, that does not change. Thank you that we can take that to the bank. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. It's your name we pray.